God, I'm grateful for You. I'm grateful that You reign sovereign in control of all things. That You this morning still are on Your throne. That though we in America may this past week been caught up in chaos and caught up in news and caught up in stories, God, that You uh, were never confused. That You were never watching the news to see what would to come because You know all things. You are in all things. You sustain all things. And so now, God, I pray that we would be reminded as Your church that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, called by You. And that in our lives, God, that through all of this, that our good deeds would shine amongst this nation. And through our good deeds shining amongst this nation, um, those that are both believers and unbelievers would see Your marvelous grace, mercy, and love. God, we need unity in this country. But our unity will not be defined or joined by politics. It will only be unified in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray that would be true for us this morning. I pray that as we come to this passage here in Genesis chapter 35, that you would open our minds, our hearts, to receive what you would have for us, that you have prepared for us. So even now in this quiet moment, I pray you, Holy Spirit, would open our minds to all that you have. And now, Lord Jesus, lead us and guide us as we look at your holy word. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. I know in your bulletins that you received online, it was called the end of an era is what I labeled this passage. But uh, the more I studied, the more I prepared, I'd like to relabel that and call it Jacob's return. Jacob's return. We're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at Jacob's return and verses 1 through 15, and we're going to look at how sin consequences remain in verses 16 through 21. But I want to give us great hope at the end of the passage. If you haven't been with us, or if you've been with us and just need a refresher, here's where we're at in Genesis chapter 35. We're coming to the end of Jacob's life. Uh, in this passage, um, Isaac will die, so that's the second patriarch to what we would call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham has already passed away. Isaac will pass away, and Jacob will kind of move on. And in verses chapter 35, 36, and 37 is a transition point where we're going to really begin over the next several weeks look at the life of Joseph. But here we are in this chapter where Jacob has... Uh, been just a, a scoundrel, if you will. If you remember Jacob, Jacob had a twin brother, Esau, and Jacob and Esau came out of the womb fighting. They were already uh, in conflict with one another. And, and from the very beginning, God had made a statement over, uh, over Jacob that Jacob would rule his brother, the older brother Esau, and that, that Esau would serve the younger brother. And we looked at several weeks ago that how Jacob took this, this call by God into his own hands. And he wasn't trusting that the Lord was going to do what God had promised that He was going to do and bless him and give him the, uh, the birthright. And so Jacob, with his mother, Rachel, devised this scheme to come up with the birthright. To, to, to make sure God's plan was already going to happen without having to use and be dependent on God. How, how often do we do that? Do we take God's uh, call on our lives and we make sure it happens without trusting in the faithfulness of God? And as, if you remember, Jacob deceives his brother, deceives his father, 
and, and they, they catch wind of it. And Rachel says, hey, you've got to flee for your life. You, you've got to get out of here because Esau's so angry at you, the only way that he's going to get satisfied is if he kills you. So you need to leave. And when he calms down, I'll call you back home. And then we know that Jacob left and he went to his uncle's house. And when he got to his uncle's house, he saw this woman that he fell head over heels with. And he said to uh, his uncle, hey, give me this woman and I'll work for seven years for her. And you remember the story that he worked seven years and at the end of the seven years, his uncle deceived him and he married Leah, his first wife. But he was so in love with uh, this lady, Rebecca, that he said to her, hey, I, I, I want to marry her uh, and so I'll work another seven years. So he's worked 14 years for his uncle and then at the end of those 14 years, his uncle deceives him again. And so finally, Jacob comes to the end of this moment and is just angry with his uncle and says, I I'm out of here. And that's where we're kind of at. He has left uh, and is wandering back home to be with his family. Remember that we talked about that he comes very close to where God had called him to Bethel, but he stops about 20 miles shy. And in those 20 miles shy, he didn't go to exactly where God had called him. And because of that, great consequences came over his life. Remember that last week we looked at his daughter got raped by the men of the city. And all this confusion happens. Well, now here we are in chapter 35. And God comes back and intervenes again as God always does. Thank God we have a God that intervenes on our behalf. Even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our consequences, we have a faithful God to us that will always intervene. And that's where we'll start this morning. Here's Jacob's return. The first point I want to look at is the divine call that was placed on Jacob's life. It says this, that God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. Dwell there and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled for your brother. Remember that, that moment that, that God had appeared in, in a dream and he wrestled with God. And that, those moments that the, the, the heavens opened and God spoke to him and gave him the promise, the covenantal promise that he'd made to Abraham and to Isaac. He'd made that promise. And so God is saying, hey, go back to that place that I had already given you a promise. There, there, there remember that vow that Jacob had made with God. He said to God, if, if you intervene on my behalf, I, I will walk with you all be with you and I'll give you a tenth of everything that I had. And so for those 20 some years that he had forgotten that vow that he had made to God. And now when God speaks up again, he remembers the vow that he had given to God. Not only was there a divine call to remember the vow that he had made to God, but now we see that there's the remembrance of what he had done. That he had led his family so close to an ungodly world and all the consequences that came. And so God is intervening again. And in that moment, as God intervenes, He's reminded of how He had led His family astray. I'm grateful to God on, for me that oftentimes when I lead my family astray, God intervenes. But He reminds me of what I have done. It's a reminder of what I have done, done so I'll never have to go back to it. Oftentimes we want to forget the past. No, we, we must hold on to the past as a reminder of what we never want to return to. Amen? If, if we forget where we've come from and what we've done, that, that's an easy way for us to go right back there. 
and yet he's reminded of how he led his family poorly. And then he's reminded in that moment as God calls him to go up to Bethel, how God had saved him from danger. Even though we just come out, all that could have happened in chapter 35 and all that didn't happen because of God's great promise and reminder. And like Jacob, there's a divine call on all of our lives. God is calling us to Himself. He is calling us out of darkness into life. But we must, like Jacob, remember the vow that God has made to us. Remember how we live in a wicked world. And remember that we are in danger. And now we must respond. There is a call in your life. There is a call on my life. The the question is, how will we respond to that call? We see four things. Four ways that Jacob responds to the divine call on his life. You see, in that moment that he got called by God, he could have turned from God and gone the other way. And when God calls you, you can respond that way as well. You can turn from God. You can run from God if you please. I just would submit to you, it will never turn out well for you if you run from the divine call on your life. But four things we see in this passage that all of us must do when there's a divine call on our life. The first one is this. There must be repentance. We see that in verse 2 and in verse 4. Verse 2, it says this, And Jacob said to his house or to his family and to all that were with him, Put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. In verse 4, he says this, And so they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ear. So there's this moment that there's this call on God and Jacob's divine call is to repentance. The first moment when there's a call in your life is there must be repentance. Repentance is a turning from and a turning to. We must repent when God reveals our sin to us. You see that moment that it says that he put away all their gods. Remember that moment that his wife had stolen his, her, uncle, her father's gods and had hid them. Many scholars believe that these gods began to, to multiply, not because they were multiplying, but the people began to look to these gods and add to these gods for protection, for provision, for wisdom. And so that, that Jacob's descendants began to worship these gods. Remember, it was just one idol that she had taken from her father. Now they begin to multiply. And now Jacob catches wind of how their sin had multiplied. Is that not true for our lives? When there's not repentance of sin, sin always multiplies. I don't know if anyone ever remembered the movie, uh, The Gremlins. Remember that movie? They, they, they were just multiplied. That's, that's how sin does in our lives. If, if sin goes unconfessed, unrepentant, it will multiply into a, a great monster that overtakes us. And this is what is happening. And so Jacob calls his family to repentance. And they do repent. They turn, they give their gods back. The next thing that we see is this, purification. Repentance has to lead to purification. That's what Jacob says to them. Put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourself. The, the word Purity means this, to remove all blemishes. You see, it's an act of being prepared for worship. You see, when we 
enter into repentance, then there has to be this moment of purification that God removes the impurities. We cannot come before a holy God with our impurities. He has to remove our impurities. And so God is saying repentance brings purification. We must purify ourselves so that we can come to worship a holy God. My prayer is this, that every morning that you wake up, and especially on Sundays, that you are repenting and you're asking God as you come here, God, prepare my heart for what you would have for me. That's purification. The psalmist says this, purify my heart, O God. Give me a new heart, O God. That's purification. So there's repentance that leads to purification that opens us up to the next thing in verse 3. It says this, And then we will go and we will make an altar to God. That is an act of worship. You see, repentance leads to purification that opens us up to worship God wholly. And so for us, this morning is our response an act of repentance today. An act of purification. And have you come here to worship God? Because then the next thing will happen. There is a moment of restoration. We see that in verses 9-15. through 9-15 through 15 is where God appears again to Jacob. And there's this moment that God begins to talk to Jacob again. And He says, Jacob, this is your name. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but you shall be called Israel. Remember the last time that God showed up and changed His name. He was getting him ready for the promised land. Again, here Jacob is. He needs for repentance. He needs purification. He needs worship. He needs restoration from God. And so God intervenes and restores him again. Restores the name that He gave him this two chapters ago. And not only does He restore who He is, but He restores the covenantal promise He had made with him. Remember that promise that He had made with Abraham. That He had made with Isaac. And He had made with Jacob. He says it again. He restores that promise in verse 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and the king shall come from you and your own body. The land that I give, gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land of your offsprings after you. And then God went up and made a place for him and spoke with him there. There is restoration again. You see, when we come to repentance and we come to purification and we come to worship, God always restores us. We need to be restored with God. It's through our sin that separates us from God. That is what sin does. Sin marks us and separates us from a holy God. And so God, through His goodness and His kindness to us, says there is a way back to Him. The way back to Him is through repentance. It's through purification. It's through worship with God or communion with God. And then there's restoration with God. Now the sad part is this story doesn't end there. I would love for chapter 35 to end there with this great moment of promise, this great moment of hope, but it doesn't. It moves on into chapter 35, verses 16 through the following. And this is where it's not promising, but it's truthful. There's always consequences for our sin. Sin always has consequences. Even after repentance. Even after purification. Even after worship. And even after restoration. There are consequences for our sin. Two things that we see. Two places of consequence. The first one is this. 
Rachel's death. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3 and 2, that God had always wanted mankind to, to live and live forever. But what happens? They eat from the, the tree that God had told them not to, and now sin enters the picture. And sin brings death. And we now see the consequences of sin is death yet again. Remember that Rachel is Jacob's beloved wife. It's his favorite wife. It's the wife that he worked 14 years for. It's the wife that he was enslaved for. And it says this, and when they journeyed from Bethel, and they were still a distance from the place that they were going, Rachel went into labor, and she had a hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. Remember that Jake, that Rachel back in Genesis chapter 30 had prayed to God for another son. She had, it was given Joseph, but at the end of having Joseph, she prayed to God, God, please give me another son. And now God is faithful to that prayer request, answer her prayer request, but it comes with a price. God gives her the promised child, Benjamin. And he, she names him the, the son of sorrow is what his name means. But then his dad comes in, swoops in, and says it is Benjamin, meaning the right hand. But in verse 19, after giving birth, so Rachel died, and she was buried on the way. You see, sin always leads to death. Our fleshly bodies, we will die. That, that is a mark from the Lord, that there are still consequences for our sin. Like, death is not the way God ever intended it to be. Do we know that? I, I know that to be true this week. Um, it's a great thing to live in the country. It has its perks. But then there's these moments you're like, if I lived in the city, that probably would not have happened. What happened this week was there was a deer that crossed the road, got hit by a car, and stumbled into our side yard. Right? And it died. Well, poor little Tennyson had to see that. Uh. And then all of a sudden the vultures came out of nowhere and start just doing what vultures do or whatever those things are called. And so we're talking to Tennyson as she's like horrified of this like mayhem that's going on in our side yard. And so we're like, no, we're not going to move it. We're going to kind of let the circle of life take over and the birds are going to eat it and it's going to die and it's going to decay. And so we're telling Tennyson this and I said, Tennis, this, this is the circle of life. This is how it happens. She's like, well, that's a bad circle. Like, even in her innocence, she knows death is not a good thing. But it's what happens because of sin. God never intended it to be that way. But there are consequences for our sin. And again, I wish it stopped there in verse 20. But it goes on to verse 22. It says this, and why... Israel or Jacob lived in the land, Reuben, his oldest son, went and laid with his father's concubine. In Israel, Jacob heard of it. Remember that Jacob played favorites. And Jacob didn't love Leah the way he loved Rachel. Therefore, we saw earlier in the text that she didn't, he didn't love the children of Leah the way he loved the children of Rachel. And so Reuben knew this. Reuben, being the oldest son, was supposed to gain everything. He, all the inheritance was supposed to come to him in that culture. But he knew that he wasn't going to get that because of his love, Jacob's love for Joseph. 
and for Benjamin. That, 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 therefore, those two sons were going to get their inheritance. And so, because of the jealous heart of Reuben, because of the anger in Reuben's heart, he goes and lays with his father's concubine. Now, we would see that on the surface and think, man, he, he's got a sexual problem. He's going after her just to have sex with her. But that's not what the text says, if you know the text. Two things that the text says is true about this. The first is this. That he wanted power over his father. Because he knew this. That if he were to go and lay with his father's concubine and have mastery over her, that in some way that would usurp the authority that Jacob had. It's, it's what Absalom did with David, if you remember that story. That, that Absalom and David, Absalom was David's son, and Absalom went and slept with the concubines and said to him, if I get my father's wives, then I'll become as powerful as my father. And so here Reuben is wanting power over his father. He wants dominion over his father. He doesn't want to be in submission to his father any longer. The sin of pride. Not only was it the sin of pride or the sin of power, it was also the sin of provision or the sin of protection. Remember who his mother was. His mother was Leah. And so he knew that now his mo- that the, the favorite wife, Rachel, had passed away. Therefore, the next in line was not going to be Leah. It would be the maidservant. The, the maidservant of the favorite wife would come in to take the place of Rachel. And so he said to himself, if I sleep with my father's concubine who's going to be in protection, it will take her role away and it will uh, increase my mother's role to be the favorite wife. You see, his sin, his rebellion, is going to cost a lot. A whole lot. And here it is again. As it said, we said last week, we say again. And Jacob, or Israel, heard of it. And he said, nothing. Nothing. He passively sat by. His passivity leads to more harm. And then we come to the end of the text. That Jacob now goes back and is with his father Isaac. Isaac dies. He lived 180 years old and he's buried. And then the next chapter we'll cover next week, but it's the descendants of Esau. And so we come to this end of this passage. Jacob's return, sin's consequence, and we ask ourselves, what does this have to do with us? I'd submit to you four things. It's a story that reminds us that if there's sin in your life, there is consequences for it. But here's the deal. If you're here this morning and there's sin in your life, God has put a divine call onto your life this morning. My hope, my plea with you is first, come to a place of repentance. Here's what we know to be true. Every single one of us in this room has sinned against the Holy God. And we need repentance. Every single one of us. And so this morning I'd say first, is there any unconfessed sin in your life that you must repent for? Because if there's unconfessed sin in your life that 
you have not brought before the Lord, there's no way for purification. There's no way for restoration and harmony with God. It starts with repentance. The second thing I would say is this. After you've asked for repentance, plead with God for purification. Ask God to purify your heart so that you don't return back to the sin that you'd just repent from. So often people want to confess their sin, but they don't ask for purity of their sin, and they keep returning like a dog to its vomit. So ask for repentance. Ask for purification. And then the next one is this. Come to a place to worship God fully. The way that you will worship God is by recognizing that He is the one that forgives you. He is the one that purifies you. And then you will want to worship God. And in worshiping God, then you are restored back to God. That's what God has done through Christ Jesus. Amen? Christ Jesus is our way of repentance. Christ Jesus is our way of purification. Christ Jesus is our way of worship. And Christ Jesus is the one that restores us to a holy God. Without Christ Jesus, there is no repentance. Without Christ Jesus, there is no purification. Without Christ, there is no worship. And there is no restoration to a holy God. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I'm grateful for this text. The same way that you put a divine call into Jacob's life, you put a divine call on all of our lives. You are calling us out of darkness into to light. How will we respond to that call? God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has unconfessed sin in their life, whether believer or unbeliever, that this morning would be the moment that they would repent of that sin. They would turn from that sin and they would turn to You, a holy God who offers us forgiveness through Christ Jesus. When we turn and confess, You purify us from all unrighteousness. In the purity of our hearts, we can come and worship You holy. shows us that there's restoration and communion with You. I pray that would be true for us this morning. Continue to lead us and guide us, I pray. Let us be men and women that would repent, that are purified in the blood of Christ, that worship before You as we're in relationship with You. We pray this in Christ Jesus. His holy name, Amen. If you'd rise this morning for the benediction. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to lead you to eternal life. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.